0: touchdown. Fell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete.
2: They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit, hit, hit immediately it. got the handoff,
0: you know the q Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you.
1: From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time to talk to the resident stat geek over at JetsXFactor.com, the man who this show is named for, the Chronicles of Nania, Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, thanks for hopping on, man. We're getting very close to training camp, so I'm really happy to be able to talk through some of these training camp primers that you've been doing at JetsXFactor.com.
2: Yeah, Definitely. The fact that we're so close to training camp, uh, it's kind of crept up pretty quickly. Sports are just starting to come back a little bit. Baseball starting this week. Yankees playing on Thursday. NBA back in a couple weeks. So we're kind of starting to get back into the groove of things. And hopefully everything goes pretty smoothly and things can get back to sort of normal.
1: Going to be interesting to have all three sports going on at the same time, knock on wood. It's not something that we typically see a lot this time of year, so it'll be a real change. Usually summertime, as you said, it's baseball and then you're getting ready for training camp, but now we're going to have baseball and hockey going at the same time. So lots of sports going on as we get ready for training camp this time around. And a lot to talk about with the Jets because there are plenty of positional battles and you've been breaking down everything over at JetsXFactor.com in terms of what people should expect heading into training camp. So I figured we'll go position by position and you can fill in the blanks. Let's start with the unit that has gotten the most attention this offseason. That's the offensive line, mostly because there have been a lot of changes. We've gone over this ad nauseum. We know that they added Makai Becton with the number 11 pick in the draft. We know they signed George Fant. We know they brought in Greg Van Roten from Carolina. We know that there have been other depth moves made, including Josh Andrews. So a lot going on here in addition to Connor McGovern, who is probably the biggest signing of all. Tell me what you've got in your primer heading into training camp covering the offensive line.
2: Yeah, well, really looking at the offensive line uh, across all five positions, and we talked about the O-line in depth a few episodes ago, but I think the biggest goal there is that you want this unit to be average. I don't think anyone is expecting this to be an elite unit or any, any anywhere in that realm. You're just looking for competency. If you can be average around 16th best in the league, in that, little, in that area, that would be tremendous. The, you're, where they're coming from, being the, I think, the second worst unit in the league, just because Miami was, as bad as the Jets were, I think Miami was worse than them. But still, they were either the worst or the second worst. So it's going to take baby steps upward. You're not just going to change everything overnight, and especially the way things did play out. They didn't get the superstar, free agent additions that we thought they might have been into that maybe would have given them the ability to make that leap. They didn't get Jack Conklin, Graham Glasgow, Joe Tooney. So if you got a couple of those guys, maybe things would be different and you could expect them to be really good. But the the route that they took was a little more balanced, a little more measured. So hopefully it could be uh, an average unit this year and then long term as Joe Douglas builds up the depth and just the youth, which was a focus – with building this unit, then over time it can develop into a sustainable, uh, a sustainable elite unit built with homegrown players. So I think that was the overall goal, even though in the present there isn't as much of a quick fix, not having as many or any big money additions outside of McGovern if you want to consider him one. Uh, so it's going to, in the present, maybe be a little bit of a rougher road, but long term I think they maintain some flexibility and they started to build a pipeline a little bit with Cameron Clark. Makai Becton uh, drafting those two guys getting some stop gaps but this year it's about being competent so uh, hopefully they can be around average but you're looking for just a line that's not just as as unbearably bad as they were last year in, in both phases so you look at all five positions you mentioned McGovern being the one of the biggest additions on the team hopefully he can be in that top range top 10 range that he was with Denver last year and then with the other four positions, you're just looking for some stability one or maybe two years from Alex Lewis, Greg Van Roo and, and George Fant, uh, until a long-term solution comes along, whether that's through the draft, free agency, trade market next year. Uh, those guys, all you need from them is just be okay this season. And and again, maybe next season as well. So hopefully, and George fan, Joe Blewett actually did uh, a breakdown of his film. That's up at JetX. He, his, Technique his just overall play improved quite a bit near the end of 2019. Still wasn't a good player. Still has a way to go, but he took some steps forward. And even though he is 28 years old, he's only started and finished 18 games in his career, so barely over a season's worth of actually playing uh, at tackle. And he split those between right and left tackle, so he hasn't even played a season's worth of starts at one particular position on either side. So hopefully, uh, his progression is a sign of things to come. He does continue moving upward, and that's optimistic, him being 28 years old. And then you look at Van Roten and Lewis beside McGovern. Average is just what you're looking for for both of those guys, especially in pass protection. I don't think either of those guys have the overwhelming athleticism or strength to be difference makers in the run game. But in pass protection, I think both of them have the ability to, especially with McGovern in the middle now, form a really good in, or really solid interior trio and pass protection that is just able to do the easy stuff well. Pick up stuns, pick up blitzes, things that the Jets have not been able to do effectively over the past few years. So especially in pass protection, if you can get above average from those three guys, I think that's what the Jets are hoping to get. And then obviously the big X factor is on the left side, presumably where uh, Makai Becton will be starting. We know how high his ceiling is long term, but he has a big role in this team this year, especially if he is playing at that left tackle spot which he most likely will be, uh, how quickly he gets off the ground is going to play a huge role in this season. Uh, is he going to really struggle out of the gate until he hits stardom later on? If that's the case, then they could have a really big issue there at left tackle uh, that Sam Darnold is going to have to deal with, especially in protection. Cause I think in the run game, you know, uh, you can feel confident he's going to come out strong there, but in pass protection is where, is he going to start out quickly or is he going to have to take his time to eventually hit his ceiling? So, Uh, Becton is the big X factor uh, at the left tackle spot
1: Let's talk about quarterback, Michael Since you mentioned Sam Darnold, There will be a new face this year, Joe Flacco But he's not going to be ready to go yet Everybody is wondering if he's going to be ready to start the season There are whispers he might go on IR for the first few games But we'll find that out eventually David Fales is here in the meantime You've got Captain Morgan coming into the situation Give me a little primer on the quarterback position
2: I, I think looking at the depth, they did a pretty a pretty good job of getting uh, – they kind of hit both marks. They got in the middle – and, again, the James Morgan pick is kind of uh, – it's questionable whether you think it's actually a prudent way to go, taking that uh, hopeful backup quarterback that early in the fourth round. But they did get Morgan there in the fourth round. Hopefully he can uh, give them – and, as you said, Joe Flacco won't be ready to start the season, so Morgan will probably be the week one backup. But they were able to get some youth in Morgan, but at the same time get Flacco to fill in that backup spot, who is probably one of the best backups in the league. Not a good starting quarterback, uh, quarterback by any means. Uh, in terms of a backup, there aren't too many better options than him. So I think they did a decent job there. Maybe should have uh, – I still think maybe they shouldn't have gone with the Morgan pick. I just don't think there's too established of a history of those picks working out. Uh, taking a quarterback when you already have a franchise quarterback usually they just kind of rot away and never really give you anything. So I, I feel like I would have gone a different direction, but we'll see what happens. Uh, and then obviously with Darnold, I, I mean, we talk, talked plenty about him uh, throughout all the podcasts we've done over the past few months, past year. Uh, and it comes down to the offensive line. It's what we've always talked about, whether or not they could give him just a chance to break out, give him a legitimate environment to where we could see where he's truly at. Because – as, as disappointing as he's been, not that he's been extremely disappointing, but obviously he didn't have the humongous breakout in the second year we hoped for. Uh, as disappointing as he's been, it's just been tough for him to actually have a legitimate chance to build some cons- consistency to get a rhythm going. So as long as the offensive line is competent, as I said earlier, they can give him the chance to, uh, for us and the Jets to see where he's really at in his progression
1: Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. And now we get to running back where, for the first time in almost a decade since 2011, the Jets will enter training camp without Bilal Powell. Instead, they've got Le'Veon Bell coming back. They bring in Frank Gore as a free agent. They say goodbye to Ty Montgomery, but they bring in Lamichael P. Ryan from the draft. So. A lot of options there at running back. You've even got Josh Adams, who's going to be fighting for a roster spot, who showed a little bit of promise with the Eagles two years ago and got a little bit of run last year at the end of the season with the Jets. So tell me a little bit about what your thoughts are at the running back position as we head into camp.
2: Yeah, as you mentioned, Bilal Powell, no longer there anymore. Uh, thanks to Bilal for everything he brought us. Really, uh, what he brought, he brought them some stability in an era where they did not have. Much of that at all. Uh, he was the longest tenured player last year, so he will be missed, I think, uh, as in his reserve position. but I think with the little Michael P. Ryan pick, they're trying to replace what they're losing with Powell. I don't think P. Ryan has any amazing physical abilities that give him the upside to be a great starter long term, but I think he is solid at a lot of different things, and that's what gives, that's what gives him the ability. To kind of replicate what Powell did. You could rely on Bilal to, in pass protection, he was solid. His hands were good, rarely dropped a pass or fumbled. Uh, and then he could come in and give you some downhill running, some power, but he could also break off a pretty long run. Uh, he was uh, near the top of the league in both yards per carry uh, and frequency of big runs throughout his career. So I think P Ryan is the player that they're hoping to develop to fill that Bilal-Powell role. Uh, and if down the line he does become the, the starting running back for them, long-term that would be great we know cheap running backs are a huge part of team building today year after year we see teams succeed with young running backs their careers do kind of trend downhill from the start you see rookie running backs come in and succeed quite a bit their development curve or their growth growth curve does not really seem to be as steep as it is for other positions it's much easier for them to come in and play well so hopefully he can be that ball pal presence behind bell this year and then maybe take over long term for bell but then you have frank gore who i think is good for his veteran presence he already has a pretty decent track record with mentoring young backs devin singletary marlon Mack, Kenyon drake with the last three teams he's been with so hopefully p ryan can join that list as the next successful uh, uh protege of frank gore and then obviously you have bell at the top and again we already said it with Darnold, but it comes down to o-line for bell as well uh, last year, fewest yards before contact amongst starting running backs per carry. So that's just not going to cut it. If he's going to be able to do anything, he's going to need protect, uh, some good blocking in front of him. And I think with Bell, the, the biggest thing to keep in mind is that I think his skill set coincides with offensive line play really closely. The, more, uh, the better the blocking is in front of him, the more value he's going to add. Because what he does best is take advantage of the blocks in front of him. So if you take 10 average or ten well-blocked runs, I think Bell is the type of back who will make the most out of nine of those, whereas the average back might make the most out of maybe only six of those because on a few of them, he's trying to bounce it outside, trying to do a little too much, and he'll waste a good blocking, whereas Bell is going to take advantage of that good blocking as frequently as he possibly can. That's his goal. He'll sacrifice a few big runs because he doesn't really have that long speed But he's going to make sure that every good block on a given play is going to be taken advantage of. So if you're not going to have any good blocks for him uh, to make the most of, then he's just not going to give you those big plays to make up for it every now and then. And that's what we saw last year. So with good blocking, he should get exponentially better. And that's the case with any running back. But I think it's more so for him than any other just because of his style of play.
1: Should certainly be helped in that area, Michael, by the return of Christopher Herndon, who's a pretty good blocker for a tight end. Ryan Griffin is there. You've got Daniel Brown fighting for a spot. And then Trevon Wesco, the forgotten man who, by the way, was not a Joe Douglas pick, so I wouldn't be 100% shocked if he ends up getting the boot at the end of training camp, but there will be some interesting competition here. Obviously, we know that if Herndon's healthy, he's the guy, and the second man up would be Griffin, who played pretty well in Herndon's absence last year, but this could be a fascinating position to watch during training camp.
2: Yeah, Wesco is in a really interesting position, because as you said, he wasn't a Joe Douglas pickup. Daniel Brown re-signed Dan Brown and Griffin re-signed by Douglas this offseason so they do have that edge uh, but Wesco is important because the blocking at tight end was very bad last year Ryan Griffin and Brown were as much of a part as any individual O-lineman was in the run game struggling so that has to be a lot better and Wesco can be a big part of fixing that I think he did a lot better in the second half of last season first half was a little disappointing you know they selected him in the fourth round for his blocking and he wasn't doing that but second half I think he took a step up especially when they put him at fullback lined him up in the backfield Uh, he was doing good in that role so he can help out uh, if they if they can get him some playing time because they're going to have to have Herndon and Griffin out there which hopefully can be uh, a top five to ten receiving duo at tight end like you said Herndon should help the blocking a little bit over Griffin at least but I think it's key for Wesco to help uh, to get the run game going for him to give them an upgrade in the blocking department. And uh, hopefully Brown gets buried on that depth chart and only sticks to special teams because he didn't bring much of anything as a pass catcher or a blocker last year. Pretty bad in both phases. So hopefully Wesco overtakes him as that third tight end in a blocking role. Uh, And then at one, two, you have Herndon and Griffin. I think Herndon has the upside to be a top 5 to 10 tight end. The numbers he put up as a rookie were very rare for a tight end, uh, especially the way he finished the season. He was already playing at a top 10 level over the uh, final 12 weeks of the season. So, uh, the way he finished that year, how good it was for a rookie, it, it was legitimate superstar, not superstar, but top 5 kind of upside that he showed in his rookie season. He's such a good match with Darnold. Uh, On those scrambling plays, he has a really good camaraderie with him, knows how to adjust his routes and get open when the play breaks down, and they missed that in 2019. And also in the red zone, they missed him there as well. Herndon started to show some upside uh, as he got going later in the season in the red zone too. So in the red zone and on those scramble drills, uh, that's where Herndon's going to make the biggest impact. I think he can be a very good player if he can recapture where he was and continue that progress. Then Griffin is really well fit to be a number two behind Herndon. He's not as versatile or athletic as Herndon is, but he's got pretty good hands and showed us last year that he can make some contested catches. He can give you some key conversions in the red zone, short range, intermediate. So that could be a really good one-two punch in the receiving game. But uh, keep an eye out for Wesco. That tight end blocking is a lot more important than – it's a lot more important than the attention that it gets. It has a big factor in the run game. So if Wesco needs to continue, I think the hot stretch of blocking that he finished last season on
1: And then we get to the final position on offense, Michael That, of course, is wide receiver It's gotten a lot of attention because there have been a lot of changes there Jamison Crowder is really the only one back Because Quincy Noon was out for the season Robbie Anderson's gone In his place is Brashad Perriman Then you got Denzel Mims coming in Who was drafted in the second round The Jets are looking to possibly get something from Josh Doxson Who they brought in here In addition to guys that were here last year And showed some flashes Braxton Berrios We remember that big play that he had on offense And Vincent Smith Who drew that big penalty against the Dolphins And has also shown some flashes Coaching staff apparently is pretty hot on him what do you think going into training camp do you like this wide receiver group
2: it it has some questions I think in the present obviously Denzel Mims I think I was a huge fan of that pick I think he's superstar upside long term but in the present you're talking about a second round wide receiver who had uh, I forget the exact number I believe he was the 11th or 12th wide receiver taken so uh, in the present there's not too much upside Uh, there just isn't a proven track record of second-round receivers playing well right off the bat. Uh, The positive thing is that we saw a lot of good examples last year of rookie receivers playing well. Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, Hollywood Brown, lots of examples of rookie, D.K. Metcalf, lots of examples of rookie receivers coming in and playing well last year. So obviously that's what you are hoping for with Denzel Mims, but it's just not likely. Overall, second-round wide receivers have Just not been productive. I believe only about 15% of them over the past 20 years have averaged at least 50 yards a game as a rookie, and that's only pace for 800 in a season, which is about where Robbie Anderson has been. So uh, it's not likely that second-round receivers have come in and played well, and the Jets are going to be relying on Mims to do that. So while I like him a lot long-term, it'll be interesting to see how quickly he gets off the ground. Then also you have Perriman opposite him who is a similar boomer bust kind of player. We we know how good his December was, second in the league in receiving, tied for the league lead, and receiving touchdowns. But those five games are easily the five best games of his career. He's been in the league for five years, missed his rookie season, and was largely unproductive over the first about three and three quarters seasons of his career until that December hot stretch. So it was an extremely impressive run to finish the season, but it was also the first uh, extended stretch of good play that he's ever shown in his career. So uh, hopefully for the jet, for the jet's sake, and that they're hoping uh, that is a sign of not necessarily things to come. It's not that he's going to average a hundred yards a game for the whole season, but hopefully he can come at close to that play at a uh, number one, wide receiver type of level, maybe around 60 yards a game, but uh, it, it's tough to project that just because what a small portion of career his career that it is. So it seems more likely that he's going to be closer to the player that he was for his first 46 career games than he was for his last five, but it was a high ceiling that he showed. So hopefully uh, he can come close to that, but still it's, it's tough to project that because it's such a small portion of his career. I think what's most likely is he comes in the middle of those lows and the highs uh, and settles in around about where Robbie Anderson was, as the Jets' number one wide receiver. Big plays now and then, but overall not quite good enough as a route runner to be featured in the passing game to catch a lot of passes and be targeted often, but he'll get the big plays now and then to make up for that and overall probably settle in at around the 750, 850-yard mark, somewhere in that range, so low-tier wide receiver one. But the upside is there for him to be a lot better, and at the same time, the downside is there for him to be a lot worse, so... Rashad Perriman is a very boomer bust wide receiver one.
1: And now we get to special teams, which I know, Michael, is your favorite unit because you get to talk <laughs> about the kicking battle between the two studs here. Sam Ficken and Brett we will start with that and then we'll work our way through. Tell me about the kicking battle, what you expect to see there, and then talk about what else you expect to see from the special teams as we head into training camp.
2: Yeah, I, I wish the Jets did actually have two studs going to uh, this <laughs> kicking battle, but they don't. We have Ficken, who was 30th in the league in field goal percentage, and Maher, who was 32nd. So uh, it's it's not promising there, but uh, I think Maher is interesting because he, he has very hot, very extreme strengths and weaknesses. His power has been really good, above 50 yards. He's been a top 10 kicker. With his percentage in that range, he's already the only kicker in league history to make three 60-plus yard field goals, and he hasn't missed one yet. So his distance is really good. And then the easy kicks he's been excellent at, he's only missed one extra point in his career, Second second-best extra point percentage over the last two years. He hasn't missed a single kick under 30 yards, but from 30 to 49 yards, so everything that's more shallow than 50 and deeper than 30, Everything in that range, he's had the worst field goal percentage in the league by far over the last two years. So great distance, and he's not going to miss the super easy kicks, but anything in the short to intermediate range, he's had a lot of trouble with. So he's only kicked in the NFL for two years. He's already 30, but he's only been in the NFL for two years after spending some time in the CFL. So maybe there is some room for him to figure that out if he can, I think there's real upside because of the power that he has and also the fact that he's been very good with the easy kicks, not blowing those, but intermediate to short, he's been way, way, way too inconsistent. So, But if he can't figure that out, there's upside. I don't think Ficken has the same upside. Ficken has been less terrible in that intermediate range, but he also hasn't been above average in any range. Extra points, short kicks, intermediate, deep. He's below average in every part of the field. Uh, so overall, his even though his field goal percentage was higher than Maher's in 2019, Maher has been better overall because his he's just done a better job relative to where his kicks are coming, whereas Ficken has been below average everywhere. So I think maybe Maher's floor is a little bit lower, but he does have a much higher ceiling than Ficken. So the ideal situation for the Jets would be Maher kind of figuring out his intermediate issues, bringing it all together, and becoming a pretty solid kicker overall. But with Fick and I, I don't really see that upside. So it, it'll be interesting though. It, interesting to, uh, to say the least and not in a positive way, uh, but because there's so much downside here because neither kicker could even make three quarters of their field goals last year. So not a great position to be in. I think they should have emphasized it a little bit more. Maybe uh, just found a better option than the two guys they went with. So uh Ideally, they don't pay for their lack of attention to this position as they did last year, but uh, they really could because these two guys did not play well at all last season. But I would keep an eye on Maher. I think he has some upside. And, and then the rest of the special teams, uh, they were phenomenal outside of the field goal kicking last year. Uh, their DVOA was number one if you take out the kicking production. So their punt coverage, kickoff coverage, and then also their punt returns and kickoff returns, very good in all those facets. So hopefully – and also it is the second straight year they did that. They are great in 2018 as well. So hopefully they can maintain that going into 2020. Brant Boyer has done such a good job no matter who has been out there. He's kept a lot of consistency in the special teams. But Braxton Barrios and Vincent Smith as the punt and kick returners respectively did a really good job last season. Both of them were top three and return average in their respective spots. That is something that they'll be trying to maintain. And then in coverage, obviously at the punter position, we have a new face in Brayden Mann. Uh, The punt coverage has been pretty good over the past two seasons, even though Edwards was probably an average punter at best. So hopefully Mann uh, can, and even though he's a punter, he could still have a growth curve, take some time to hit his ceiling, but Uh, It is a position where I think it is a lot more likely than any other for you to see very good production as a rookie for them to come right in and hit their ceiling. So I think the Jets are hoping that man can raise the ceiling of this unit Uh, because the coverage has been very good. But Edwards has been prone to a shank now and then he wasn't really capable of those pristine dots inside the five yard line. Uh, So he wasn't really a difference making punter. He didn't never really kill the Jets because the overall production and punt coverage was very good over the past couple years, but he wasn't a difference maker either. So I think they're hoping that Brayden Mann can be that difference maker to give them a field-flipping 60-yard punt now and then, to pinpoint a punt at the three-yard line uh, when the Jets are punting from the 50. Those are things Edwards couldn't really do. So if Mann can come right in and do that, this could be the best punting unit in the league.
1: Wouldn't exactly say that having one of the top punting units is at the top of my wish list for the Jets, but it's certainly a positive, so if they can go ahead and pull that off, another feather in the cap of Brant Boyer, who has done a terrific job, with the Jets' special teams over the last few years. Greg Williams did an outstanding job with the defense, and we're going to talk about him tomorrow when we get into part two. We're going to tackle the defense, and we're going to talk about the coaching staff too, everything we expect out of them as we head into training camp. In the meantime, make sure that you're checking out Michael's work over at JetsXFactor.com and follow him on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com